Welcome to the Confessions of a Loveaholic podcast. Join me, your host, Emmy Hernandez, on a journey where we help women heal and find soulmate love to help rewire their brain and nervous system so healthy love is on the radar and it feels like home instead of heartbreak. Whether you've found your soulmate or your journey is just beginning, we'll explore the energy healing practices like meditation, yoga, and have straight talk about toxic addictions. You deserve safe love. Hola, hola, mi gente. I'm Jessica Yanez, and this is the Wine and Chisme podcast, a podcast created to amplify voices and share the stories of people from BIPOC communities doing remarkable things, all while sipping on a glass of wine. So welcome to your new Wednesday. The Wine and Chisme Wednesday. Definitely a much different flavor profile than a typical rosé. So rosé is typically made from a Pinot Noir grape. So Cabernet Sauvignon and Pinot Noir, very different, obviously. So uh, we like to call this a more savory, if you will, rosé. So color-wise, you know, we call this our soft rose petal um, color. That's really what we're looking for with this rosé. And then just first sight and then smell. So when you're smelling it, you'll smell fruit and those fruity aromas are really berry based. So for us personally, we're we're really smelling a lot of raspberry coming through the glass. Are you guys smelling that as well? Okay, good. Good. I'm glad. So then on the palate, um, you'll taste some vanilla hints that'll come um, again from that neutral French oak barrel. And then also what you'll kind of taste on the, on the palate is some stone fruit coming through. So stone fruit being anything with a a pit. So some cherries in there um, on the palate. And then also, again, this has a high acidity. So you'll taste again, the minerality just from the terroir of where the fruit is grown. Are you guys all tasting that? Does anybody taste anything different? I said raspberry and, and then you said raspberry. So I was like, yeah, I was definitely in tune with the, with the Okay, fruity. good. Yeah, definitely a lot of that coming through. So our grapes are grown here in Sonoma County, our Cabernet grapes, and particularly um, the Mayacama Mountains is, is where this vineyard is. So there's volcanic soils and you'll definitely taste that with the minerality coming through. It's really good. I like that it's not really sweet. That's for me, such a big thing when it comes to rosé is sometimes they can be really, really sweet and it's not. And I feel like it's deceptive because you look at it and it kind of looks really like it's going to be sweet and everything. And then you taste it and you're like, oh, I guess I never heard of wine called savory, but I guess in comparison to sweet, it definitely would be. Yeah. I mean, we absolutely call this our savory wine of them all. Um, it definitely like, on it's just like really full in your mouth. You actually have a lot of structure coming through versus it just being something that you can drink like water. Right. So, and then when you have a Pinot Noir, like for me personally, it is sweet and it kind of stands on its own. So it's a lot different. And for our program, a lot of you know, what we do from a winemaking standpoint is we're really trying to create wine that can pair with food. And 
maybe that's the Latinos in us because we're always eating and drinking. So, you know, we will always want to ensure that what we're doing basically complements the food. So I'm known to make our charcuterie plates at home constantly in family settings. And, you know, obviously COVID is prohibiting a lot of that, but, you know, this is what I call a good starter. So And if it's not a starter and you really want to pair it with something, I call this the best brunch um, wine. So I call this like the wine that's made for bagels, cream cheese, lox, and our winemaker will say, this will go with basically a range of things. So she's like, this is your sushi wine, or this is your wine. Yeah, she put a lot of different things. Yeah. So, you know, but I like to call it our, our definitely our brunch wine, if you will. We also not deter from the wine, but Francisco, my brother, who's also co-owner of Aldina, is on here now. So you're on mute, Francisco, but I just wanted to introduce you really quickly. But anyways. Yay. So tell us about now that we're kind of on the wine and now that both of you are on here. Yeah. I would love to hear the history about Aldina Vineyards, how you guys started generationally. Yeah. Me and you talked about it a little bit on Monday, Monica. Right. I would love to love everybody else to be able to hear that and go a little bit more deep into what we talked about on Monday. Yeah, absolutely. So we have a much different story than a lot of Latino um, vintners. So this is really a passion project, if you will. Um, we were living in Los Angeles and my parents were owners of Lowrider Magazine in the 90s. And so they basically sold their business in in the late 90s. And they were like, hey, we're going to retire. We want to go somewhere beautiful and get out of Los Angeles and, you know, get us out of Los Angeles too. So they, you know, were looking at properties between Napa and Sonoma County. And they ended up landing on this amazing property in Sonoma County. And we moved there in 1998. And so They built a beautiful home and um, on about 40 acres. And so I think, you know, the idea is once you're here, I think they romanticize the idea of, oh, well, we should have a vineyard. And, you know, that's no easy task. So in 1999, they decided to plant vineyard. They decided to plant Cabernet Sauvignon because that was my dad's favorite varietal at the time still is to date. And so he planted the vineyard in 1999. Then, you know, it takes a few years, it takes about three to four years before you actually get a crop. So during that time frame, he went to local junior college here and did a viticulture program. So basically learned everything about how to manage the vineyards and manage the grapes. So he did that program. And once we started getting a crop. He was selling to different vintners in Sonoma County for about 10 years. So from 2002 to 2012. During that time, even though we were selling to other vintners, he was keeping a small batch for himself and making his own wine. So he was making his own wine in the garage with my brother and became a fan favorite of like friends and family. So in 2011, you know, my brother and I, we probably had too much wine. We're like, hey, we should create our own wine label. Why not? You know, we we have this beautiful vineyard. It's producing really great fruit. So that's kind of how we ventured into this. And we got connected to Armando Ceja and his daughter, Belen. And they had a custom crush facility in Sonoma. And we were able to work with them to 
to really do it on a commercial level, we partnered with and we hired on Belen Seha to basically be winemaker, um, be our winemaker. And she's done a beautiful job. She uh, went to Fresno State, has not only a viticulture background, but an enology um, double major. So she basically knows from viticulture, basically talking strictly about the vineyard and the grape and the production of grapes and then going into actual winemaking enology. So she's basically does it all and knows about it and basically helps us start to finish. And, you know, she's there at the vineyard periodically and really helping us tailor and making sure that we're really getting the, the best fruit that we can. So anyways, that's our story in a nutshell. And if anyone has Francisco, questions. Please feel free to add anything you want to add. We want to know this is both of your endeavors. No, I mean, Monica did a really good job in uh, summarizing the whole deal. But yeah, I mean, it started off with my family moving from Southern California to Northern California. And uh, Monica, I think, convincing my dad not to even look into Texas because originally that's where he's from. I'd like to say that I love cabs. Ooh. I'm not really big on rosés, but this one. But now I understand why, because what you said about the caps. Yeah, it's just very different. It's probably not a rosé that you guys probably have or something similar to. It's, it's, it's much different. And that's what we were going for, definitely. It's, it really is delicious. And I can probably drink the whole bottle by myself. And You should. You should I'm drink the whole bottle by yourself. <laughs> I am. not going to get any. I don't drink that. <laughs> Good, Lorenzo. I was telling her that like rosés, after a while, I can't drink a few glasses because it's like so sweet and that has tart. that like... Like tart. Yeah. Yeah, that tart flavor yeah. that I can't drink. But this, yeah, it's really good. Yeah, but I'm taking it. Thank you so much. What other varietals do you guys have? So we make obviously Cabernet um, and that comes from our estate vineyard as, as does this. Um, and then... Uh, again, we added our Chardonnay to our uh, program as well the, at the same time that we added um, our rosé. And our Chardonnay, it's just a great story. There was an overabundance of grapes in 2018 where our winemaker is making our wine. Her family owns the vineyard that's adjacent to that facility. And so because there was an overabundance of grapes, she and her sister went out and picked a bin, which is not very much. So that's about a, like a half ton, if you will. And uh, brought it in and made some wine for us. And she's like, what do you think? And we worked through some things. You know, I think our first vintage, our 2018 vintage was really high acidity. We didn't let it go through um, malolactic fermentation, which basically gives it that roundness that basically malolactic fermentation is basically where it gets at that milkiness, that... um, additional structure. So it was really, again, high acidity. So you needed something to pair it with to really cut it down. Um, But this year or 2019 release, you know, we let it go through mallow a little bit and it's just perfect. It really has so much structure, um, lots of notes of like honeysuckle and green apple. And so, you know, for people that don't think that they like Chardonnay, I always say, you know, at the very least try it because, it's something different and something that's not um, typical of a Californian, you know, Chardonnay, especially Sonoma County. We're known for making really buttery, buttery Chardonnays that just overwhelm the palate. 
if you will, for our taste. But, you know, ours, I think, has a really great balance and structure. But Francisco, I mean, I know you can add to that because you're really passionate about our Chardonnay. So, I mean, for me, I'm always one of those guys, you know, ABC, anything but Chardonnay. Don't bring that to me. Yes, uh, I think there was a lot of us <laughs> like that last week, too. <laughs> I'll be the first one to say that. But when our winemaker proposed it, you know, I was, for, first of all, we try to produce just from our vineyards. But we did want to introduce a white as well. And it was coming from her vineyard. And in our first vintage, she gave us a lot of leeway, which kind of led to that higher acidity last year and not putting it through mellow. But I feel that, you know, this Sonoma County butter bombs that you get out here that, you know, Kendall Jackson really made famous. We wanted to go in a totally different direction, which is why I think ours was so acidic last year. We are like, our palate being, uh, making it more food friendly and, you know, having uh, a lot of Latino food, Mexican food, especially, you know, we, we're like, oh yeah, we wanted something like that. You know, I think the best pairing that paired with our 2018 was that, uh, we had ceviche with it because the high acidity levels in the ceviche really canceled it. It was just a really beautiful wine. We're like, oh, that's what we want to be having, you know, even at a carne asada, we're having chicken with adding the limon on there. And it really just paired nicely with things that we were eating. We're like, mm-hmm. all right, but we had to give it a little bit more structure uh, to, to like what Monica was saying with uh, putting it through Mallow this year and uh, rounding it out so that it has a, a smoother finish. Yeah. And I mean, I'm really excited about it, being a guy who was honestly uh, a Chardonnay hater. Um, like, yeah, I'll, I'll go to a Sauv Blanc if I'm going to go that route, or, you know, maybe even a Chablis, something. Like I said, ABC, I'm not, don't bring Chardonnay down my avenue. <laughs> I'd never heard that anything but Chardonnay, but I feel like that's how I was too. But I, and even the one we had last week was more, they were suggesting Mexican food as well. Because I think you're right. A lot of times the food that we eat, I'm not a big buttery fan mm-hmm. as well. Like I can't have a Kendall Jackson. It's too much. Right. Yeah. And it's not even a wine you can't even drink on its own. You have to have something else with it because it, I feel like it's just so, for me, those heavy Chardonnays are not pleasing to the palate. Mm-hmm. Right. I've had some friends who definitely said uh, that our, our Chardonnay is in the summertime, definitely their, their porch pounder. They want to open that up and just enjoy it outside on a warm summer afternoon. Matthew and Heather are asking, how many bottles or cases do you produce each year? So we produce between 500 and 600 cases a year. I mean, depending on the vintage, 2018, we had an abundance of grapes, but in previous years, they were in 17 and 16, there were smaller vintages. So our average is between 500 and 600 there. And for our rosé specifically, we only make about 50 cases. 50? 50. Oh, yeah. wow. Oh, you yeah. Guys are, look at you getting one of the 50. You're getting some shishi. 50 cases. So, you know, 50 times 12. But yeah, we don't make very much of this because we really like to keep it small. We really want to keep it to um, our wine club members, particularly. But, you know, this year and like our Chardonnay, for example, we also make 50 cases, but usually that only goes out to restaurants and our wine club. This year, that did not happen, but, um, you know, in the spring, Francisco and I were um, opening up a tasting room in Hillsburg, so please come and visit us if you guys would like to try more of our wines. Because um, you're in the Sonoma County, right? Not in Napa. We're Sonoma County, yeah. So we're um, basically 15 minutes north of Santa Rosa. I saw Matt ask another question if we were able to salvage our 2020 grapes. 
So we were safe from the, the first fires, but uh, the glass fires kind of initiated us to harvest earlier than we had anticipated. Normally we harvest between 25 and 26 bricks, but this year we harvested a little bit earlier due to the fires and you know the dangers of smoke taint. The scary part is you harvest because it's, it's a blind harvest because the smoke taint doesn't come out until it goes through fermentation, the grapes. So Can you want to explain like how the grapes are alive and breathing? Oh yeah. I mean, just like all living things, while it's the grapes are still on the vine, they're breathing in the same oxygen from um, the air around them. And due to our elevation, I think, I don't know if Monica spoke to that previously, but we're at 1100 feet. So we're above the fog line, but due to the proximity of the glass fire, we actually had smoke up there, up on the hill. And um, it was a lot closer than any of the previous fires. So the grapes are porous. And as they're breathing in the air, the grapes actually absorb the smoke. And so in order to try to eliminate that, we harvested probably about a week earlier than we were anticipating. And we got it into fermentation, punched out. And, and it was at about 24. Right. So we were, we were only, like I said, about a week early. It shouldn't affect our program. We actually send it out to testing and we were... We were safe. We were well within the normal range. So we're very thankful. I mean, we have a lot of friends who are still in our AVA that sell grapes and their buyers just simply said, we're washing our hands. And unfortunately, they didn't even pick many of the growers in our AVA uh, weren't so lucky. So we're thankful and we're happy, but we can't really get up and scream about it either because we have a lot of friends who weren't so fortunate. So how, how much do you guys actually think you lost in regards to harvesting early and not getting all of the bricks that you guys normally get? How much do you think you weren't unable to harvest? So something that's really great that we're able to do because we keep our Cabernet in barrel for so long is, um, so we, we're on a 30-month program. So we keep our Cabernet in barrel for 30 months. So what we're going to be able to do is actually do a little bit of a blend from 2018 into our 19. So that, or I'm sorry, our 19 into our 20, so that we're able to basically balance it out so that it's really reflective of all the other years. So we're really lucky in that sense, because for other vintners that, you know, are on a year program or a year and a half program, you know, They've already bottled, so we're, we're definitely not there yet. So we actually, um, we haven't even bottled 2018 yet. So we'll bottle 2018 in April. So, you know, we're, we're definitely, um, you can believe it, we, what we do typically is even after we bottle, we keep it in bottle for a year before we even release it. So our 2017 won't even be released until um, next spring, next May. Oh, wow. Well, you need taste testers, Monica. You know where I am. Yeah, I do. Definitely. So right now you don't have a tasting room, right? Because you were happy. You were. No, we're building it out right now, which is so exciting, but also so scary because we're in the midst of a pandemic. So, you know, that's terrifying all at the same time. But um, it's been a long time coming. So, you know, we're just going to we're going to get it done and we're going to open regardless. And um you know, be as safe as possible and follow all the guidelines that we need to. But, you know, our, we're anticipating openings, you know, at some point in March. And right now we're, we're doing tastings by appointment only. And we do our tastings up at the vineyard. So, I mean, we have some amazing views up there. 
and they're fun. They're interactive. People like to walk around, take pictures. And, you know, it's more of a one-on-one setting versus a tasting room setting. So, um, you know, right now you get to taste with Francisco and I versus tasting with, you know, just somebody that's working in a tasting room. So that's fun too, because we get to interact, interact with, you know, our wine club members or people that are just interested in Aldina. So it's exciting. Laura is asking, is Aldina a family name? If not, how did you come to name the wine that though? Yeah, I totally missed that. I'm so sorry, guys. So not anything that super clever. It is not a family name. Our father is named Alberto and he goes by Al. And my mom's name is Enelina and she goes by Dina. So Al and Dina, Aldina. So it's basically all goes back to them. I mean, they started all there are entrepreneurs. They've showed us the way in life. They are, I mean, everything that we do is, you know, are paying our respects to our parents because they, they truly are. Um, they've done amazing things with their lives and they're the best. Tell us about your wine club. People are asking about the wine club. Yeah. So um, our wine club is, you know, very typical to many wine clubs and we just do two shipments a year. So um, we do a May shipment, which is our new releases. And then we'll do a fall shipment, which has a little bit more Cabernet. Each shipment's about $250 ish or less. So it ends up being like a $500 commitment a year is basically the way it works. So you get a case of wine um, ultimately at the end of the year um, with the two six bottle shipments. And then if people want to either join the wine club or just buy some more of the Aldina Vineyards wine, where do they go? So they could just go to aldinavineyards.com or you know you can email me as well. I'm happy to help you in any way. And remember, if you guys are participating in this, she's already, Monica reassured me, she's already put in the code. You have 15% off with code um, wine and chisme. I also put in my email address in case anybody just wants to email me because sometimes that's just easier. But yeah, happy to help in any way. Matt's asking, has your wine ever been rated or won any awards or do you plan to enter your wine for any awards in the future? Haven't rated yet, or we haven't entered any competitions, but we were selected as uh, one of the top 100 wines in Sonoma County this year under the Reds category. So, congratulations! Uh, That's huge. Yeah, yeah. So we're, we're really super, excited. Super excited about that. Uh, without having sending out uh, our wine to be recognized is always exciting and fun, and or makes one feel you know thankful for all the hard work that you're putting in. That sometimes you don't. You don't always see the, the fruits of your labor, but at least other people are recognizing it. And in 2021, next year, we definitely want to send out our, our wines for rating and, you know, just for a little bit more exposure, especially since we're going to be opening up a tasting room. I think uh, having a few uh, awards in there will help out. Also, our winemaker is like a firm believer, like, you don't need them. And I'm like, Maybe people like to know, you know, and then you have these consumer apps like Vivino where they're rating you anyways, or these even industry apps where people are rating you. And it's like, our wine's great. We've never gotten a poor rating. So I'm like, let's just go for it. And, you know, so there's, a, there's some uh, tug of war a little bit there, but I think we'll get her there too. I almost feel like sometimes when you get like, it's obviously great to get really high ratings and everything, but sometimes the people that are tasting them, they don't have like an everyday palate, like we all do. Right. So I feel like sometimes something will be a really high rating and then I taste it and I'm like, eh, it's all right. 
And then something else, you know, there's, I think you just have to find whatever is good for your palate. And that's, I think we're always so scared to try one other things. Cause you're like, Oh, I like cabs. Well, every cab is going to taste a little bit different based on where it was grown, the soil, the weather, the, all this, all these different factors. And I think a lot of us, I have through the last year have gained such respect for white wines that I didn't have. I had was like, whatever. I don't like white. I was thinking I was a wine snob, like I don't like white wines, but I was, that was not trying the right ones. So now that I've been trying these different ones that I know will appeal more to my palate, my wine world has opened up significantly. And I'll just give like a, just like a little tidbit of advice. Always you open up a wine, you try it. I always say, just let it breathe, let it breathe, come back to it and really decide in an hour. If you really don't like that wine, even if you want to aerate it or decanter it, I mean, there's so many things you can do to get it right. You know, at that, for the immediate taste, but I always let the wine sit there. Let it live for a second. I mean, it's been bottled up. Some wines are not designed to be drank immediately. Like I would say, you know, our 2016 just won this award, but I would also say our 2016, if you open that and you drink that, that is a baby. That is a baby wine. That is an infant still. And so I would not, I would recommend decant it, let it sit there for an hour and then drink it. I would always recommend that for our 2016. Yet it's, it's in, you know, it got an accolade and I'm super proud of it. They're all like my children. So I've always been proud of it, but I always say, you know, those wines, like there's some that are really designed to either sit and lay to rest for a while, or at the very least, if you're going to pop it open, just give it a minute because they will do so many funky different things that you're like, am I trying the same wine? Am I drunk? Cause sometimes I'm like, am I drunk? Like that did not taste the way it's just, you know, I thought it was, it tasted, you know, an hour ago, 45 minutes ago. I always do that. And I always hunt Francisco. So I'm like, wait, or, you know, we can also tell the story of our 2013 that we, you know, we said we failed at. We thought we failed at a whole vintage. If you can believe that an entire vintage, we thought we just ruined 500 cases of wine. Yeah. And also um, like when we do our tastings, I think for us, and it's a personal thing, uh, we don't aerate our wines. We open them and pour you the wines from our bottle. I mean, granted, we'll, we'll let them sit probably for about 20 to 30 minutes before the Anyone taste. taste them. Yeah. So but, actually I was going to ask that question because if you're at home, what is the best? Is it best to decant it? Is it best to just open it and let it breathe? Is it best to have an aerator? Like what is the best way when you're opening up a, a red to allow for the best flavor of that? If it's a big wine, I would definitely open it up. Open it up and let it sit there. Decant it for sure. I would decant because that just gives it more, uh, more time and it gives it more oxygen and lets it breathe a lot easier versus just in the bottle. But yeah, I mean, that's always my recommendation, especially if it's a big wine that you, you know, have saved or it's a special meal, you know, I, I mean... If you're cooking already, just open the bottle, decant it. It's, e- it's so, so easy. I mean, it's also in the same vein, hard not to drink it while you're cooking. So I understand that aspect, right? 
So then that's why you pop open the rosé and while you're cooking, drink the rosé. And then when the meal's done, drink the cat with the meal. And I'm going to go back to these other questions, but since we're in this vein of questioning, Yvonne's asking, so do you let white and rosés breathe decant or is it just reds? So this is my, my other suggestion. I have a lot of suggestions. Sorry. Okay. So you keep rosé and Chardonnay in the refrigerator. I think, you know, if you don't have a wine fridge there in the refrigerator, I would assume. I have one now. Thank you. <laughs> well, I, I keep mine in the refrigerator. So, you know, the right temperature for these bad boys is like 46 degrees, 48 degrees. But your refrigerator is like 33 or 38 or whatever it is, you know, 38 degrees. So it's about 10, a 10 degree difference. So it's not about these wines letting them breathe so much. It's about sometimes when you taste them, they're just too cold to taste anything. So they taste like water. They taste like nothing. So you're not really getting any of that fruit or you're not really getting any of the, the aromas. Like when you open yeah, it, like, aroma, you they don't smell anything. Like those guys sold me on a... <laughs> On, yeah, they sold me on this, but I'm not getting that. And it, it frankly, it's just too cold. Mm-hmm. So that's that's the reason. And as you continue to drink the rosé, you know, it may taste different because it's just a little bit warmer. And, and that's what it means. What are you guys drinking for tomorrow, for Thanksgiving? Do you guys go through different bottles? Do you stick to one thing? We do it all. You guys all know that turkey goes with Pinot, everyone, right? So we don't make a Pinot, but I don't always agree with that either because, uh, you know, Francisco and I will do a lot of rosé tomorrow and we think rosé is also a good fit. So if you guys don't finish this, try it tomorrow with your turkey because I think it's going to be really good. Oh, no, you're not finishing it. No, I, I see there's a lot, a lot of empty bottles. bottles. <laughs> I'm just saying that this is actually, uh, for us, I think we're going to be drinking a lot of rosé tomorrow. Um but, you know, they say a good Pinot, we'll, we'll do, we'll drink our 2013. Our 2013 yeah. has a, we call this our Thanksgiving wine. We've called it the, our Thanksgiving wine since the get-go until it went through bottle shock. So I was talking about our 2013 a little bit earlier, but, you know, we've always had these you know, spices coming through, these mulling spices coming through our 2013. And it, it's much different than any other vintage. And, you know, I'd, I'd love to go back to to look at what the real climate was in 2013 to as to why this this really happened to this wine. And um, it was beautiful. We bottled it. We popped it open a year later. And we're like, what happened? This wine is like, I can't even drink this. I don't even know what's happening. We just laid it to rest. We never sold it. We sold all of our 2012, we sold, you know, most of our 2014 and we laid it to rest and we were like 500 cases. What are we going to do? Francisco, like, do we just rip off the labels and sell it as shiners? Uh, <laughs> you know, like, geez, like how could this have happened? And, um, cause wine does funny things once it's in bottle and we opened it up, I think maybe two like years last- after bottling, right? Francisco, yeah. like two years after bottling. And we were like, oh my God, this baby just was in shock. And it is like the most beautiful wine. Like 
It's probably our most unique wine. I mean, for December, we're is going to go to our library. We're on our last palette of it. Mm-hmm. But I mean, like Monica said, we'd have to go back and look up exactly the climate of 2013. Yeah. With the grapes, but also um, in the first three years, 2012 through 14, we kind of played with our style and who we were going to be as a winery, what, what kind of cab we wanted to present because uh, we only use our grapes other than the Chardonnay. So it's a hundred percent cab. We don't have like that 5% mix of other reds to kind of give it a little bit more structure. We don't have any Petit Verdot or Cab Franc in there. It is a hundred percent cab. So I'd have to go and look at the, also the cooperages that we were using at the time, the barrels, the different uh, toasts, because we were kind of just trying to play with our flavor profile to kind of find out what it was that created this wine. Because I mean, we get some colas and rhubarb in there. This 2012 and 13 are the wines that I'm drinking right now of our of our wines. As far as cabs, I think those are the most ready to go and drink right now. Uh, you could open it and throw it in a decanter and have, have it with a great meal. But it's definitely the most unique of our wines because I don't think any of them taste like this since. Yeah, and something that we love to do is we love to do a vertical with people. So we like to take people through the 2013, 14, 15, and 16. So we do four Cabernets, you know, side by side so that people can really taste like how different each wine profile or each flavor profile will be even though it's coming from the same vineyard, the same winemaker and the same barrels, but how much climate really controls what the flavors and what the outcome of a wine will will do. And it's really an educational, it's educational for us. It's, you know, educational for other people to try. And, you know, while they might, might love all of them, you know, there's one that will always stand out to a particular person. Like for us, you know, when we go out and do these, you know, a lot of the 2014 will resonate with a lot of restaurants because it's the most versatile. So it's interesting. So Michelle is asking if you guys are selling the 2013. We are. It's still online. Yeah, it, it, we won't take it off until after the new year, and then we'll just put it into our, our library wines for wine club members. Is the 2013 the oldest vintage you're selling right now? Yeah, our twenty our 2012 is already sold out. We're, we're no longer selling our 2012. That was our inaugural vintage. So our 2013 is our, our youngest baby, but... Oldest. Not, oldest. We don't have we don't have much of our 2013 left, so you keep talking about it. I want to go get some. <laughs> yeah. I know, I know. Well, I feel like this is not the last time we're gonna work with Aldina Vineyards. No, not I. Not I feel. I already know this is not gonna be the last time that we're gonna work. You already said you're gonna stay in our guest house. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I got a lot of. This is the best part. I got a lot of places to stay in in Napa now, so and Sonoma, so. You know. Well, everyone, please come and visit us. We hope that you will and try all of our wines. We're really looking forward to having all of you. Yeah, guys. my mom's planning our trip over the summer to go. Okay, up can't wait. Beautiful. <laughs> Yay. Follow us on Instagram. Yes. To find out about at Aldina Vineyard. Small business Saturday. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Wine and Cheese Med Podcast. For more information on today's guest, please see the show notes for links to websites and social media channels. You can check out all things Wine and Chismet on our website, thewineandchismetpodcast.com. There, you will find the names of wines I drink each episode, as well as additional information on me, the podcast, 
and you can even apply to be a guest straight from there. You can also find us on social media at The Wine and Cheese on Instagram and at The Wine and Cheese Podcast on Facebook. Remember, if you want to hear more Wine and Cheese please subscribe, rate, and review. Five star ratings are appreciated, and those positive reviews are appreciated.